Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us. Another busy day. Lots going on in the news. We now have Bill Northey sworn in as Undersecretary at USDA, finally. Hopefully that opens the door for some other key appointments to be made uh, and get confirmed. We have lots going on with that RFS debate. Refinery workers from several states on Capitol Hill this week lobbying for reforms to the RFS. Meanwhile, there are studies out warning of the impact uh, if they try to put caps on the RENs and how that could reduce ethanol usage. So that uh, debate continues. Lots going on. We'll get into a lot of different areas today. Still lots of concerns about the tariffs and where we're going with trade. Lots to talk about today. A little later, Darcy Vetter, former chief ag negotiator for the U.S. Trade Representative's Office, will be with us, and she'll give us her perspectives on uh, the impact of the tariffs announcement potential retaliation, what that's going to be like uh, dealing with uh, those issues, as well as how it impacts the negotiations going on with NAFTA. So we'll get her perspective on that. Mike Steenhook with the Soy Transportation Coalition will join us and focus in on infrastructure. seems like every time we start talking about infrastructure, then other things kind of push it to the back burner, kind of like Farm Bill. Uh, what's going on with infrastructure, uh, different proposals out there, what are the priorities, what are the goals? We'll talk with Mike Steenhook about that. Ron Hayes with the Radio Oklahoma Ag Network will join us later in the program, too. We'll talk about conditions uh, out in Oklahoma and in that part of the country, some real challenges with weather and some other issues. We'll talk with Ron about that a little bit later on. But joining me right now is Jerry Hagstrom. Jerry is founder and executive editor of the Hagstrom Report. Does a great job of covering uh, the ag scene in Washington, D.C. Jerry, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you. Uh, it's it's nice, to be w- nice to be with you, and congratulations on your new program. Thank you, Jerry. I know you were just at the National Farmers Union uh, Convention. What was the mood there? Uh, I would say the mood there was uh, uh, quite similar to the mood at the Commodity Classic last week, and I would summarize this as the week in which the farmers lost trust in President Trump. They're very upset about the RINs and uh, the trade issues. That's interesting, Jerry, because I've kind of been trying to, you know, gauge this all along through through the administration so far. Uh, the president had strong support, of course, uh, in the ag community. Uh, that's been tested with different things. Uh, Secretary Purdue does a great job out there, kind of, uh, uh, kind of calming folks down. But this latest announcement on the tariffs and what we've seen so far is a lack of uh, significant progress, I would say, on NAFTA. Uh, you're picking up uh, their concern level is going up on this. I think it's. I think it's definitely going up. Uh, you know, people. Farmers really loved President Trump partly because they liked his kind of they like his bravado and and attitude in in a lot of ways, and they were particularly thrilled when he pulled back on the waters of the United States rule. But but they keep saying you know our prices are low, the renewable fuel standard is vital, and we have to export. And these actions or inactions that the White House is taking on on the RFS and on trade are really upsetting people and making them afraid about the future. Yeah, both of those areas are critical. And when we look at trade, um, you know, 
there's anticipation or fear of uh, potential retaliation. Was that a topic of conversation at the Farmers Union meeting? Uh, oh, it definitely was, especially in the hallways. Now, of course, Farmers Union has been the group that has been the least enthusiastic about trade agreements. They were not in favor of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. They are Democratic-leaning. They're, they're aligned with, with labor unions in manufacturing. But, um, but what they're concerned about is Trump's attitude, the way he uh, approaches other countries, criticizing them all the time, even insulting them. And, and Roger Johnson, the president, is asking, how can you do a deal with this just isn't the way this is done in, in international relations. Now, you mentioned uh, the direction that Farmers Union has historically taken. We have seen, though, in recent uh, times, uh, more of a um, cooperative effort between the Farmers Union and the American Farm Bureau working on some issues. Yes, and that was evident at this meeting. Zippy Duvall, the president of Farm Bureau, was there. And they were talking together. Uh, they did a program together on the opioid crisis and how they're trying to raise, uh, raise awareness of this. Um, uh, but it was so interesting for me because after the presentation, I went up to Zippy Duvall and I said, uh, "What's your view on the steel and the, and the aluminum tariffs?" And uh, and Zippy said to me, "We are very saddened by this announcement." We're looking forward to having Zippy Duvall on with us uh, tomorrow on tomorrow's show. But it is interesting, some of these issues, some of the uh, actions by President Trump and his administration actually bringing some of these farm groups that have uh, been on opposite sides of issues, actually bringing them together, helping them find some common ground. Yes, and I would say that what, that the, what I would see over the coming months is there's going to be intense monitoring of what the White House does. Uh, Mary Kay Thatcher who uh, was at Farm Bureau for 31 years and then was at, and now is at Syngenta, uh, said at the Commodity Classic, you just have to keep the pressure on. You have to keep monitoring what, what these people, what they're doing. Um, and part of this, of course, is because you never know what President Trump is going to tweet in the morning. Uh, you just have to keep on the, on the issues at, at every moment and be prepared for anything that he might do. Yeah, he keeps you on your toes, that's for sure. Jerry, what are you hearing uh, with the Farm Bill? It's kind of been pushed to the back burner as far as the news is concerned with all these other events, but I know the work is still going on. Well, uh, Mike Conway, the chairman of House Ag, wants to do the, the markup of the Farm Bill by the end of March, but I don't see how he's going to do that because... They've still got to do an omnibus appropriations bill, and that has its own troubles. And then Congress is leaving on March 23rd for two weeks for the Easter holidays. So I think it's going to get delayed. I wouldn't even be surprised if, it, if we end up with an extension and it doesn't get done till 2019. Wow. It does seem every time it heats up, then something comes along to push it further on the back burner, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And with infrastructure, too, like I heard you say on the program, uh, you know, and now uh, uh, nobody's talking about infrastructure uh, going forward very very soon. And also the departure of this Gary Cohn from the White House uh, also means that, uh, well, it means that agriculture has lost an advocate for both uh, not doing the tariffs and for, um, and for bringing forward the infrastructure bill. Yeah, that move could definitely have an impact, perhaps a negative impact, 
on agriculture. All right, Jerry, thanks a lot for the insight, and uh, we look forward to having you back on again in the future. Thank you. Great. Call me anytime, and again, congratulations. Thanks, Jerry. Jerry Hagstrom, founder and executive editor of The Hagstrom Report. Does a great job of covering the ag scene there in Washington, D.C. Interesting. He He's picking up on this, too, and we've heard this uh, from others, but not so much lately. But uh, more and more that that farm bill could get keep getting delayed and, and extended and what might be next year before uh, we see the farm bill done. We'll keep a close eye on that. Well, what about infrastructure? That kind of heats up and cools down, heats up and cools down. Where does it stand now? And what needs to be done first? What are, should the priorities be? We're going to talk with Mike Steenhooks with the Soy Transportation Coalition. We're going to talk infrastructure. That's coming up next. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Tired of yesterday's mist weeds becoming today's big problem? Get rid of mist weeds for good with Liberty, the herbicide that puts an end to mist weeds, guaranteed. Plus, Liberty is proven effective on tough to control and resistant grasses and broadleaf weeds. So choose Liberty the simply better solution for superior weed control. Backed by the Liberty Weed Control Guarantee. Talk to your retailer to learn how you can qualify for the Liberty Guarantee. Always read and follow label directions. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. We're proud of our new affiliates. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. ESN is a responsive nitrogen. That means it does something amazing. This. That's the sound of ESN getting ready. Carefully, quietly calculating the exact moment to respond to your plant's needs. Why is that amazing? Because while other nitrogen might denitrify, volatilize, or leach away, ESN stays put inside its polymer coating, saving your nitrogen investment until... The same triggers that spur plant growth tell ESN it's time to get busy and deliver the nitrogen your plants need. And ESN's controlled-release technology means your plants get season-long feeding. Remember, when it comes to nitrogen, this beats and every time. Effective nitrogen, that's a given. Responsive nitrogen, that's amazing. That's ESN. Go to smartnitrogen.com to learn more. All right, guys, we're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no, we'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym, my gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her four-seasons garden room, weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait, a family hub. Yeah. Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for Four Seasons now. 
To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back to AOA. Well, I think most people can agree we have a great need for infrastructure improvements in this country. Now, the disagreement may come on which ones should be done first and how we get the money for them and things like that. But hopefully we have some common ground here. But it seems like every time this topic heats up, then it kind of cools back down. Let's talk about it with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Mike, thanks for being with us on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hey, it's great to be with you, Mike. Thanks for having me. I uh, saw you last week at uh, Commodity Classic in Anaheim, and uh, I'm sure that as you talk with folks in the hallways, uh, this topic of infrastructure improvements came up a lot. Uh, you know, the president kind of gets it out there, but then it, then we don't hear much about it for a while. Where does it stand right now? Do we have momentum, or have we lost momentum? Well, I I, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, the, the president has uh, pitched his kind of the broad contours of his infrastructure plan. There's some specificity, but then there's a lot that remains to be, a lot of blanks that still need to be filled in. Um, you know, we're hearing more discussion within Congress. You know, I just saw there's a number of hearings uh, on the Hill really focusing more intently on this issue. But in order for something like this to be achieved, it really requires a lot of focus. It requires mustering your 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 allies. It's, it's, uh, it's, your, it's part of its mobilization and part of its persuasion. And you really need to put your shoulder into it. And what really concerns me is that we allow ourselves to be distracted, we being Congress and you know, Washington, D.C. in general. And that doesn't bode well, because time is not our friend on this issue. You know, the closer you get to an, a, an election, uh, the, the less likely it is for something meaningful to get done. So this is really the opportune time to do something. Frankly, I, wish, I thought they should have led off with this last year, the administration. Um, I think that was the real time to do it, but here we are. Um, so right now, it really is the time to, to really focus on it. If too much time elapses, then I don't think the prospects are very high. I thought early on with the Trump administration and Congress, with all the battles and differences, I thought this was the area that would have the most uh, bipartisan support, and this would be the area of common ground. I thought they would focus on this early on. Instead, they went, you know, health care and taxes and those issues, important issues, certainly. But I thought, well, if you're looking for a, a kind of an early win to get things going, I thought infrastructure might be the one, but it hasn't really worked out that way. You know, and I think, you know, I think one of the mistakes, and again, uh, they didn't ask me, but I thought, you know, one of the, the the mistakes that was made is that they approached Congress approach and the administration approached these issues from more of a an accountant's lens. They wanted to do something on health care in order to free up resources that then could be applied for tax cuts and then maybe an infrastructure bill. So they're looking at it through more of an accountant lens. And I think you need to look at it through more of a political capital lens. And your ability to get things done in Washington, D.C. is a function of how much political capital is in your bank. And early on in the administration, while it was still a divided country, 
you were further away from an election. You did have, um, you know, a a Republican uh, Congress. You had a, re- a Republican White House. You had some Democrats who I think would have been willing to work uh, with the Republicans on an infrastructure package. And then you would have been able to achieve a win. And one of the nice things about infrastructure is, you know, some of these issues are kind of more in the eye of the beholder, whether it's whether it's beneficial or not. You know, the nice thing about infrastructure is you, when you actually construct a new bridge or or you rehabilitate a lock or you dredge a port, you can actually point to something very tangible and say, this was not here last year. It is here today. So this is a tangible example of success. And so I think they really missed an opportunity. Um, but, uh, you know, here we're, we're, at, we're at where we're at. And so I think, uh, you know, they just need to take these lessons and, and move forward and hopefully get something done. We're talking with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Mike, uh, you've made it clear that you believe that uh, all the problems with uh, infrastructure improvement will not be solved by the government writing a bigger check. Uh, there's more to it than that. Uh, one of my concerns when I saw one of the funding models, the structures they had set up, it put a lot back onto the states. Hey, I live in Illinois. I know the financial situation in this state. That made me question right then how much might get done, at least uh, of, as far as this state's uh, participation in it. I would assume other states having uh, you know tight budgets and financial situations could be faced with the same thing. So how is this going to work, you think? It's it's going to be a real challenge, and you know one of the so there are a number of states that are really cash strapped, and they don't have the ability to to you know, produce additional funding for transportation. There are there are those who uh, have already uh, ponied up more funding. You know, Twenty six states since the year 2013 have actually voted to increase their fuel tax. So a lot of them are midwestern states like Iowa, Michigan. South Dakota, Nebraska, Indiana, um, that have actually voted to increase funding. And so the question I have for the administration is, they're wanting to stimulate additional investment by the states. How are they treating the the states that have already provided more funding? Is that going to be counted as, uh, how are they going to credit that in their ledger? Um, Are they just looking at future additional funding? And so, you know, the bottom line is we need a strong federal role in this. We need to have uh, a, a strong state role. Um, there's, we really need both. Um, you know, certainly there are some opportunities for, you know, the government in really all areas. They, they do have examples of wasteful spending. But, you know, overall, the funding that goes to transportation is used for transportation purposes. And so we need to have uh, a strong federal role in this. And, and one of the things that the federal government can do is not only provide funding, but they can be a catalyst for um, additional kind of behavior and you know, provide some needed focus. And so we're really hopeful for seeing some real quality leadership from the federal government on that front. All right, infrastructure includes many things, uh, locks and dams, roads, bridges, even uh, broadband. Uh, so you got a lot of different needs out there. Let's focus for just for a moment on the locks and dams because we have talked about this in agriculture for years and years and years, the need to get the improvements made. Uh, are we any closer? We have had some marginal success 
uh, as of late, there has been some additional funding provided. Uh, you know, there's this long um, delayed uh, project on the Ohio River Olmsted Lock and Dam that's been kind of an albatross for years. It's, that's nearing the finish line. It, it should be completed by the end of this year and, and open for business. So we have had some marginal improvements, but you know, the metaphor I continue to, to use when it comes to our locks and dams is that we're trying to purchase a $2 million home on a $20,000 salary. You know, there's a real significant exorbitant expense to a lot of these things, but yet the resources that we are deploying is quite limited. And so we need to focus on ways of practicing better stewardship as well. We need to try to find ways to make our tax dollars stretch further. And one of the arguments that we have made, and, and we're getting ready to release an analysis underscoring this argument, is that how you provide the funding is just as important as how much funding you provide. One of the things what we're going to examine is if government, not necessarily writing a bigger check, but providing more predictability and reliability for the funding they currently provide, you can make sure that these projects are completed more on time and more within budget. What happens now is because you have periodic funding, work will start, and then work will stop, and then it will start again and stop again. And every time you have one of those mobilization and demobilization of work, of construction activity, there's a real cost associated with that. So, you know, the way we fund these things, it almost is it's, it's a recipe for cost overruns and project delays. And so I think, yeah, we need to focus on higher degrees of funding for locks and dams, but we also need to insist on greater stewardship of those taxpayer dollars that are currently being utilized. That's a good point. And, and then we do get bogged down in competition. Is the money going to go for, you know, broadband or is it going for roads? It's going for bridges, blocks and dams. Uh, real quick, Mike, do you see that slowing it down too? those those uh, battles for for dollars? Yeah, that that's something that that certainly happens. You know, we've seen that when it comes to our the, the fund that is responsible for dredging our ports. And so that's something that we really need to be attentive to. And if, if, if the government wants the public to trust them, then they need to use that money for their intended purposes, and that's something we certainly need to insist upon. Well, the need is great, and hopefully we can get more action in a positive direction going on this. Mike, thanks for all your help on this, and we'll stay in touch. And let us know as you see developments take place and something we can talk about, hopefully on a positive nature. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Well, again, much of the focus is on trade. Uh, what's going on with NAFTA? Could we see two bilateral deals instead of one uh, deal for all three countries, U.S., Mexico, and Canada? That's being floated out there. And how do the, the proposed tariffs by the Trump administration complicate all this and make it even more difficult moving forward? Darcy Vetter, former U.S. Chief Ag Negotiator, joins us next on AOA. Looking for a proven herbicide trait system this upcoming season? Look no further than the Liberty Link system. With a 2-plus bushel per acre yield advantage over Asgro Roundup ready to extend and superior weed control, growers across the country are seeing phenomenal results. In fact, 97% of growers reported good to excellent performance. Ask your authorized seed dealer or retailer about the Liberty Link system, the highest rated soybean trait system in 2017. Learn more at libertylinkadvantage.bear.us. Always read and follow label instructions. I live alone, so when I slipped and fell in the kitchen last month and couldn't get to a phone, that's when I knew I needed Life Alert. With just one press of this button, I'm connected to the Life Alert Center. 
where I can get the help I need, even when I cannot reach a phone. With Life Alert, I'm never alone. For a free Life Alert brochure, call 800-981-2126. That's 800-981-2126. Call now at 800-981-2126 to get a free brochure. Here is your market check for AOA from the American Ag Network. Grain and soybean futures in a mix on this early Wednesday. Analysts say that the resignation of Gary Cohn, the president's top economic advisor, spooking some traders. They're taking it as a sign the White House is more likely to follow through on imposing steel and aluminum tariffs, which could leave U.S. agricultural products vulnerable to retaliation from other countries. Soybean futures in the old crop trending one to three and a half cents lower. On the downside for May soybeans, support lies at 1063 and three quarters, a stronger floor at 1059 and a half. Resistance on May soybeans at 1082 and a half. In corn, we are bumping up against first resistance at 388 and a half. Beyond there, the bulls have their sights set on 395. Stronger demand for U.S. corn will likely keep local supplies in check this season. Analysts say they expect USDA to lower its domestic corn stockpile estimate for 2017-18 when the agency releases its monthly supply demand report on Thursday at 11 central time. For the wheat futures, we are flat in Kansas City. Chicago wheat trending one to two lower an hour and a half into the Wednesday session with Minneapolis spring wheat a penny and a fraction lower. For livestock at the Merck, cattle futures mixed early before the online fed cattle exchange auction at 10 central time. About 500 head listed for sale. Saw some light live sales in parts of the central and southern plains yesterday for 126 per hundredweight. That would be steady with a week ago. On the futures board, flat to 17 cents lower in live cattle. Feeder cattle, 40 to 62 cents lower. Lean hog futures, 90 to $1.15 lower. Outside markets, the DAX, 61 points. Culture from the American Ag Network. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive your free DVD videos and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,250 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with models starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD videos and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. Well, a lot of focus on the NAFTA talks. They continue. We heard uh, Tom Vill CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, tell us yesterday he's seen no real progress on the dairy uh, dispute, the differences between the U.S. Uh, we've heard that there has been areas to 
happens even more. You have the tariff situation. Canada has been very outspoken about this and uh, uh, doesn't would not seem to help things at all. Let's get some perspective on this from someone who has been at the table at the highest level of trade negotiations. Darcy Vetter, former chief ag negotiator for the U.S. Trade Representative's Office, joins us. Darcy, thanks for being with us. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, I, I, when I asked you to be on, this was before the uh, the announcement on tariffs. I was going to just ask for an update on on the NAFTA talks, but now I have to ask you: when something like this comes down and is thrown into the mix, does that how much harder does that make it to get a deal done on NAFTA? Well, it, it complicates things immensely. Um, it has a, a huge impact on even figuring what the costs and benefits would be for items at the negotiating table. So on a practical level, if our automakers are trying to figure out what a new uh, rule of origin about how much or how much of each component of our cars has to be made in, in the U.S. or Canada or Mexico, and they're thinking about that, and you add to that an increase in the price of some of those components through tariffs on imported steel and aluminum, this makes it very difficult to be able to think about what a landing zone is that would be acceptable. So there's practical implications, but the political implications of this are huge. Um, these tariffs would be very damaging, and while the idea was that it's supposed to be aimed at, at cheaters or those who are unfairly pricing their steel and aluminum, Canada and Mexico are both top exporters of both of those metals to the United States, uh, Canada being number one on steel. Uh, and so we would be hitting those who we say are our closest neighbors and allies. And that will have a real political political impact to say we're, we would be taking that action at the same time that we say we're trying to modernize NAFTA. Now, to be fair, we're waiting for more specifics, and there are those that are trying to uh, uh, maybe get some changes made in uh, with the president on how it goes about this. So we'll, we'll wait to see how it plays out. But immediately the concern in agriculture was there's going to be retaliation, whether it's on soybeans or whatever it may be. Uh, how real is that threat, do you think, Darcy, from your experiences in, in working with these other countries? How likely are we to see retaliation on ag products if these tariffs go through? Well, agriculture is always the first sector to be in the crosshairs when other countries retaliate against us. And that is in part because we are big ag exporters and we export a wide variety of those products, but also because it's often the case that uh, there are key uh, political links to agricultural products. And you've seen that already in the European announcement that if, in fact, these tariffs go forward, they are already preparing their retaliation list. They've said that they will divide their retaliation, which they see as about $3 billion, into thirds, one against steel or aluminum products from the United States, one-third on agriculture, and one-third on industrial goods. So that's a billion dollars worth of new tariffs. And they've said outright that they would be looking at things like Kentucky bourbon to get the attention of Mitch McConnell, uh, cranberries to get the attention of, of uh, lawmakers in Wisconsin, including Paul Ryan. They'd be looking at grains like rice and corn. So, you know, we know that they, um, one, will target agriculture, and two, that they will target it in a way that is linked 
to those uh, politically who may have some influence on how those tariffs are applied and whether they could be removed. Um, I think on Mexico it's often as well. Said, no one wins. Yeah. Yeah, no one wins. Um, Go ahead. Know, in addition ahead. to Europe, I was just about about to say that you know Mexico has said that they would also uh, look to retaliate, and their reaction would not be, I think, something like a gentle breeze, but rather like a hurricane. And suggestions have been made that they would pull out the retaliation list in terms of the products that they would hit, the list that they used a few years ago um, in relation to the trucking dispute. And that had a large number of U.S. ag products on it, uh, everything from wine and Christmas trees to potatoes and, uh, you know, just uh, I mentioned wine already. So you have high-value products, you had commodities, you had fruits and vegetables. Um, All of those are on that list. Yeah, despite some curious statements out of the White House about the positives of a trade war, uh, historically we've seen, uh, Darcy, no one really wins in a trade war, do they? I mean, that's why we we work on trade deals all the time, tariffs and, and reduce barriers, not to put more on. Well, that's right. I mean, the reason we have some of these trade agreements is for consistency. And the real benefits uh, of why we do them is so that business has certainty. They know that the tariff applied to their product today will be the same one tomorrow and the same one next year. And so when you come in and you propose these these tariffs um, and retaliation starts, then that uncertainty starts to unwind for more and more products. So it affects trade, obviously, the immediate flow of goods because they might be more expensive coming from uh, some of our countries, they interrupt uh, other countries, they interrupt supply chains. Uh, if they're applied then against us, it changes which markets we can access and, and where we are competitive. But it also starts to delay investment decisions. Um, you know, Is it safe to uh, make an investment if I no longer have a sense of what my costs are going to be? So it does have an overall sort of chilling effect on uh, entire sectors when this happens. We're talking with Darcy Vetter, former chief ag negotiator for the U.S. Trade Representative. All right, Darcy, let's look at NAFTA, the talks that have gone on so far. I mean, President Trump's made it clear he doesn't really like multilateral deals. He prefers bilateral deals. And now we're starting to hear the idea floated of maybe a bilateral deal with Mexico and one with Canada rather than the current uh, three-country NAFTA deal. How likely is that to happen, and what are the the, uh, advantages and disadvantages of something like that? Well, personally, I think that's a fine negotiating tactic to try and tell countries it's time for you to compromise or I'm going to move ahead with another partner and leave you behind. But it's not clear if you look at the substance of the deal and the issues that remain that it would be in the interest of Mexico or Canada to want to to do a separate deal with us. Um, You know, Mexico and Canada both have strong concerns about some of the proposals the United States has put on the table Um, government procurement talks, for example, uh, this sunset clause, this idea that you would have to renegotiate essentially every five years, and if agreement wasn't reached, that the entire agreement would cease. Um, You know, Mexico and Canada are certainly more aligned than the United States is with either one of of the other two partners. Uh, I think you've seen Mexico and Canada take slightly different approaches to how to deal with those difficult issues with Canada. Uh, taking a harder line and a more public one, and with Mexico trying to float sort of compromise proposals or trying to engage in discussion that gets behind 
you know, what is the United States really wanting here? Is it is reviewing the agreement every five years to see if it's up to date without that threat that it would, you know, automatically disappear at the end of five years? Does that actually fill the need they're looking for? So, you know, I think that approach, that engagement is something the U.S. likes more, a sort of more gentle sense of how do we find um, agreement. And so you have seen those threats made. Well, if Mexico is going to work with us, maybe we'll just work with Mexico and leave Canada behind. But, you know, make no mistake, the distance between the U.S. and Mexico on a number of these proposals is still quite large. And there's not consensus on the approach even for how to solve some of the issues like autos rules of origin or labor issues. Um, you know, they, they've barely been discussed. So uh, I don't think a deal with either party is emerging anytime soon. Uh, and I'm not sure it would be in their interest. I mean, just politically, if you look at Mexico, they're heading into a presidential election. Uh, the rhetoric surrounding NAFTA and throughout the campaign that was, you know, heard about Mexicans, I think the relationship between the U.S. and Mexico has been strained by that. I think it would be very difficult for any party in Mexico to say, we made a deal with the United States and not be soundly criticized for that. Um, I think the optic would be, why did you compromise when Canada was willing to hold firm? Um, and, and that's probably not a tenable situation for Mexico. So personally, I think that is, is very overblown. Real quick, Darcy, just a minute, a minute left here. Uh, how much progress has been made? Do you think these talks are by now, or where, where would you assess the situation? Oh, I think we're maybe a sixth of the way done. Uh, we've seen some chapters close, and for agriculture, there's some good stuff there. We saw agreement on the, the sanitary and phytosanitary or sort of food safety measures chapter. Uh, I think, you know, we've seen some... Uh, progress on like good regulatory practices, those are all good things in creating certainty for the ag market. But the really tough issues, um, really, we've seen very little progress. It is a long way to go. Uh, you just referenced uh, in your discussion with Secretary Vilsack that, you know, the dairy discussions have barely begun. So most of the hard work is still in front of us, and I think it will be a pretty long process to finish. Darcy, as always, appreciate your perspective, and uh, we'll stay in touch as these continue. Thank you very much. I'd like that. Thanks so much for your time today. Thanks, Darcy. Thanks for taking time out of the meeting that you're attending to be on with us. We appreciate it. Darcy Vetter, former chief ag negotiator for the U.S. Trade Representative. Her talks of tariff situation. I thought interesting how she said that she questions whether Canada and Mexico would want bilateral deals in place of NAFTA. So we'll see how that plays out. Coming up next, Ron Hayes with the Radio Oklahoma Ag Network joins us. Talks about the conditions out in Oklahoma and in that part of the country. Some real challenges that producers there are facing. We'll get the latest coming up next on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. If you or your family love the freedom of swimming any time of year, if you love sharing good times and making great memories, or if you want one of the best total body workouts ever, then it's time to discover the three C's of your very own endless pool. The first C is convenience. Imagine swimming year-round in your own private swimming pool, installed indoors or out, just steps away. 
The second C is comfort. With sculpted spa seats and your own adjustable temperature, you can easily escape the stress of your day. And the third C is cost. Your endless pool is an affordable luxury at a fraction of the cost of a regular pool. And here's a bonus C, choice. Because when you call for your free endless pool idea kit, you'll receive information on our full line of pools to suit your budget and location. Call now for your free information, 800-717-0734, 800-717-0734. All right, guys, we're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no, we'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym. My gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her Four Seasons garden room. Weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait. A family hub. Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of MyPillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I would wake up with a sore neck, maybe a headache, or feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. When I invented MyPillow, I wanted it to where you could move the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep sleep faster and you will stay there longer. It's not about how much time we spend in bed. It's about how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all of my own manufacturing right here in the United States. I have a 10-year warranty. You can wash and dry my pillow, and I give you a 60-day money-back guarantee so you have nothing to lose. My pillow now offers 50% off their four-pack special. That's two premium pillows and two go-anywhere pillows, 50% off. Go to MyPillow.com or call 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. 50% off MyPillow's four-pack special. Go to MyPillow.com or call 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. We're proud of our new affiliates. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Tired of yesterday's missed weeds becoming today's big problem? Get rid of missed weeds for good with Liberty, the herbicide that puts an end to missed weeds, guaranteed. Plus, Liberty is proven effective on tough-to-control and resistant grasses and broadleaf weeds. So choose Liberty, the simply better solution for superior weed control, backed by the Liberty Weed Control Guarantee. Talk to your retailer to learn how you can qualify for the Liberty Guarantee. Always read and follow label directions. ESN is a responsive nitrogen. That means it does something amazing. This. That's the sound of ESN getting ready. Carefully, quietly calculating the exact moment to respond to your plant's needs. Why is that amazing? Because while other nitrogen might denitrify, volatilize, or leach away, 
ESN stays put inside its polymer coating, saving your nitrogen investment until... The same triggers that spur plant growth tell ESN it's time to get busy and deliver the nitrogen your plants need. And ESN's controlled release technology means your plants get season-long feeding. Remember, when it comes to nitrogen, this beats and every time. Effective nitrogen, that's a given. Responsive nitrogen, that's amazing. That's ESN. Go to smartnitrogen.com to learn more. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. Good to have with us Ron Hayes from the Radio Oklahoma Ag Network, a member of the National Association Farm Broadcasting Hall of Fame. Ron, how are you? Well, good morning. I'm doing well. I know you're busy. You're out uh, covering a lot of stories. You have a lot of things going on uh, out in your part of the country. But let's uh, start with weather and conditions out there. You've got some challenges, don't you? Uh, we sure do, Mike. Uh, this fall uh, uh, and winter has not been very good for our uh, 2018 uh, hard red winter wheat crop, uh, the class of wheat that we grow here in the southern plains. Uh, Kansas and Texas, our, our neighboring states, are not in great shape. Uh, Kansas, we've got, of course, we had our, our first weekly crop weather update of the season uh, released this uh, this last uh, Monday afternoon by Uncle Sam. 40% of the Kansas crops in Puerto Rico poor shape. Texas, about two thirds of their crop is in Puerto Rico poor shape. But Oklahoma comes in at 77% poor to very poor. We just virtually had no rain from uh, you know, the uh, Halloween or thereabouts all the way through, uh, through February. We finally got some rains right at the end of February and 1st of March, but boy, it's, it's been tough. 77% poor to very poor. Wow. And yeah. you don't yeah. just recover from that overnight, do you? I mean, that, that's going to take uh, a while to bounce back from that, even if you start getting rain. Yeah, and, and we got, it was an interesting set of rains we got about the uh, eastern two-thirds or a little less of the state got pretty good rains. I saw one, one friend, one farmer down in southwestern Oklahoma, and he said, I got some rain, but about 12, 13 miles west of me, they got nothing. And, I mean, a lot of that western, westernmost counties don't read the protections they handle. They got very little moisture out of this last set of rains that everybody else got something out of in the, in the south part of the U.S. Uh, and, and it's just, you know, they're very discouraged right now. Ron, other than those weather challenges, as you're talking with farmers and ranchers, what issues are most on their minds right now? What are they concerned about? Well, you know, I think for our cattle folks, uh, they, they're feeling pretty good. They, they are concerned about, you know, all the trade talk, uh, the, uh, the uncertainty of how we're going to treat our NAFTA neighbors, uh, Canada and Mexico both. Uh, they're obviously big customers for the U.S. beef cattle industry or U.S. beef and pork for that matter as well. Uh, they're also concerned that we're kind of being uh, left out in the cold as TPP moves forward. Uh, they, they'd like to see uh, if there's a way that uh, the U.S. can get back into the TPP, but uh, I think you know, a, lot of, a lot of them feel that maybe we've kind of uh, missed that opportunity that we're going to have to kind of play catch up at some point on that. Uh, and and that, that, that's probably going to end up costing us uh, exports, and, and that can cost 
this uh, opportunity to, uh, to be profitable here in, in 2018 because of that. Do you pick up on any waning of support for the Trump administration because of some of those uh, concerns on trade, or do you find that they're uh, uh, still solidly behind them and believe it's going to turn out uh, in their favor? You know, Mike, I, you know, I think that you know, there's, there's some consternation uh, when, when you start talking about uh, President Trump and some of the things he's talked about, some of his tweets and all that kind of, kind of stuff, and I think this uh, uh, announcement regarding uh, tariffs against the steel and aluminum industries, uh, you know, that's 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 worrisome. But well, I just I don't think we're we're, we're a red enough state. I just don't hear uh, any wholesale uh, backing away of who President Trump is. I really like uh, obviously his regulatory efforts. Uh, his favorite son uh, Scott Pruitt, our former Attorney General of Oklahoma. Uh, they, they really like what he's doing with the, uh, the Environmental Protection Agency. Everybody seems to be uh, really on board with Sonny Purdue. They, they think that he's a, a fabulous Secretary of Agriculture. Uh, and you know, I, just, I just get the feeling that you know, at this point anyway, uh, there's not too much uh, worry on the part of, of the administration about having some backing out in this part of the country. Uh, you know, there's some things that could go wrong between now and and say this midterm election that could uh, uh, force some folks to rethink that. But, you know, we're, I, don't, I don't think that the, the, uh, the Republicans have too many worries uh, about a blue, blue wave in recent our state. All right, Ron, we'll let you go. Thanks for your time. Appreciate the update from your part of the country. Ron Hayes with the Radio Oklahoma Ag Network. Thanks, Ron. Take care. All right, take care, Ron. All right. Well, I know Ron was on a cell phone, obviously, and hopefully you were able to make out all that he was saying. He's on the go covering a lot of the issues out there. But, boy, dry weather in that part of the country out in Oklahoma, really a huge concern uh, for many uh, producers out that way. But it's an interesting question as these issues come up with the tariffs and uh, the RFS debate have made some wonder about uh, the Trump administration and its support of agriculture. Uh, so we're, we've heard still seems to be the support that it's going to turn out all right. Now, a lot will depend on how NAFTA turns out and uh, what happens if are there any retaliatory moves made by other countries against agriculture on uh, the, the tariff situation. So there's still uh, this is still fluid situation. So we'll watch and how this plays out. We're going to get into a lot of this coming up on tomorrow's show. Zippy Duvall is president of the he will join us uh, to talk about uh, any concerns that the, they have about uh, some of the moves by the Trump administration. Uh, also, find out what Farm Bureau hopes to see in the next Farm Bill. And want to talk about this uh, uh, ongoing cooperative effort between the Farm Bureau and Farmers Union uh, to try to uh, tackle the opioid uh, uh, crisis in this country. So we'll talk with AFBF President Zippy Duvall tomorrow. Also, someone who I always uh, respect very much, his opinion and his insights on putting together a farm bill, because he's been a key part of several, and he's an ounce of putting together a farm bill. Uh, Minnesota Congressman Colin Peterson, the ranking member of the House Agriculture Committee, will join us tomorrow. I want to get his perspectives on where they're at, on, especially on the House side, on the Farm Bill. Will it be delayed even possibly to next year? As uh, some have suggested, we'll get his thoughts on that, where we stand. Also tomorrow, Colin Woodall with the National Cattlemen's Beef 
to talk about some of these trade issues and this RFS debate, capping wrens, someone who's been kind of right in the middle of it with some of his research. Scott Irwin with the University of Illinois will join us. So we have another busy show coming up tomorrow. Hey, I'm on Twitter at Mike Adams Ag. You can also reach me, Mike Adams, at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Always appreciate your emails and thoughts on the show and things that you'd like for us to talk about. Hey, have a great day. Thanks for being with us. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I would wake up with a sore neck, maybe a headache, or feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. When I invented my pillow, I wanted it to where you can move the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep sleep faster and you will stay there longer. It's not about how much time we spend in bed. It's about how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all of my own manufacturing right here in the United States. I have a 10-year warranty. You can wash and dry my pillow, and I give you a 60-day money-back guarantee so you have nothing to lose. My pillow now offers 50% off their four-pack special. That's two premium pillows and two go-anywhere pillows, 50% off. Go to MyPillow.com or call 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. 50% off MyPillow's four-pack special. Go to MyPillow.com or call 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile Help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. 